Hello, welcome to your local Imaginarium. I'm host Daniel Williams, along with host Calvin Seymour. Let's get started. All right, let's get uh, started with our imaginary follow-up. We don't actually have any follow-up, so we have to imagine people were actually following up with us. And uh, as we imagined the follow-up from our imaginary friends, we started thinking about um, what are people? Do they really exist? Maybe, maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the reason we don't get any follow-up is that people don't actually exist to give us any follow-up. What do you think? I think the people who are imaginary, imaginary friends, uh, they can't speak to us because they're imaginary. So we have to we have to imagine what they might be saying to us. If they were saying something to us, they'd be saying something like, and and I think that would be really interesting. You know, they must be real. Last I checked, we had about about 60 imaginary friends uh, tuning in and listening to uh, our craziness. I know um, for a fact that there is at least one person out there that listens that's not you and me. I got some generic follow-up from one of those people, and they, uh, they, had, some, they had some good feedback that I appreciated. And if you'll rena- re- remain nameless, because they didn't give me permission to mention them directly. Well, they don't exist uh, anyway, so what's the problem? Well, that's true. If they don't exist, then they're equally, they're equal with everybody else, but I at least imagine someone giving us some feedback. Uh, And so, I appreciate that feedback. Let's call him Figment. Him or her? Figment, okay. Uh, which leads us to the whole the whole uh, initial concept we're talking about here at the beginning is uh, questioning our reality, and really our reality is defined by by our brain, right? It's just right. it just receives electrical signals from our various senses and it interprets them. It makes tries to make sense of them. It does this. Um, you know, it, it's not just like um, taking it in and immediately giving us, giving our, our consciousness what it sees. It has to fit it into into a uh, a model, and that model has to exist in time, and it has to fit in things we understand. So, if, if there's something we completely are alien to us, not to throw that word out quite yet, but something completely foreign to us, we may not be able to even see it or hear it or experience it because our brain is attempting to fit it into some model that it can't. And instead of, instead of, instead of doing something it can't do, it just uh, doesn't let our conscious really know, uh, know it or be aware of it. Um, Well, you know, there's lots of things the brain will do to protect you from trauma. Uh, You know, uh, I'll tell you something it does too. It'll like, have you ever picked up a glass of something thinking it was something else and you drink it? It might be something you just love, but when it's not what you were expecting, your brain, you, you're alarmed. Your brain's like, whoa, that is not the deal. So I'll tell you a story where it wasn't something I drank. It was something I ate. It was uh, a bowl of this white stuff that I thought was uh, cake, cake batter. 
and I stuck my finger in it. It was, a, it was many years ago. I was, my, I was still a kid at my parents' house, and it was just a you know aluminum bowl or whatever. Um, and I stuck my finger in it, and I pulled it out, and I right. And it wasn't cake batter. It was like margin or margin or something like that. Just a bowl of, it was in the middle of getting prepared or left over or something. I forget exactly. And uh, that was a shocking moment as I my brain adjusted from what I was expecting. I had it predicted uh, to what was actually going on, which was not sweet at all. And I was very unhappy with that. And immediately went to the sink. And ever since then, I have I've been very careful about examining the food I'm eating. Uh, so I guess I learned my lesson there. My brain learned that lesson early. Yeah. So I you know, this is kind of why, and this may come into play later when we are talking about our other subject, but this is kind of why eyewitness uh, testimony is a little shady because people kind of see what they expect to see. So sometimes they see things that didn't really happen, you know. Uh I believe there's only certain levels and thresholds for that personally. Uh, I, for one, you know, everyone everyone sees the little shadow out of the corner of their eye all the time. You know, what was that? You look and you're like, you're sure you saw something move um, or, or, or you, you know, you, you whatever you, you do something like that. And your brain just kind of built something there, you know, for you to worry about. I don't know. Yes, and uh, you know our, our brain. You know we effectively have two brains: the left side and the right side. And I'm not talking about like uh, logic or emotion or anything. We just physically have uh, two two parts of the brain, and, and it's connected. You know, in, in the center there with this sort of a synchronizing group of tissue and stuff. But uh, it, you know, things come in at, at slightly different rates, and it's a big network of things, uh, a network of neurons up there all firing and trying to consolidate all those various inputs and it's got a model, you know, it's just, it, it, it's again, it's running that model of the world. And when things are, uh, don't quite line up, don't quite sync up. Uh, instead of just like shutting down and dying, which would be kind of, uh, a bad, bad solution. I think that, uh, you know, it, it can glitch a little bit and we, we experience that in various ways. Uh, we can have deja vu, uh, we can have um, see things like you say out of the corner of our eye. I don't know. I don't know if everybody sees it, sees or experiences these glitches in the exact same way. We can uh, we can deja vu is especially interesting because um, you know you have that feeling of seeing it before, and I think it's a common. I don't know if this is the current scientific explanation, but I, what I have heard is that it's one side of the brain sort of getting the information a little bit earlier than the other side and um, not quite getting it all put together yet. And then the other side getting it and it, and your memory is like, Oh, I've seen that before because indeed you just saw that like 200 milliseconds earlier and you weren't really conscious of it because it hasn't all been put together in that model model in the brain. But I want to talk a little bit more about the brain as a, as sort of a separate separate thing that's going that has these inputs from your various senses, um, your eyes, you know, feeding information, uh, your, your senses like your skin and your nose. Um, and of course they are, they're all, they travel up through these nerves into your brain and the brain just sitting there receiving these signals. And like we said before, it's, they're putting them all together and making this model of the world. Uh, and if you have an understanding of 
science, if you have an understanding of basic uh, reality, which humans, as they grow up, they experiment, they grab things, they they, they taste things that aren't what they think it is, they, they learn, right? So we all establish a basic understanding of how the world works. But also if you study things that maybe aren't uh, – so basic as just feeling feeling things are diff- that are solid versus gas versus um, water. If you can put that in context, uh, if you if you study something formally and then you can actually experience it later, and that model becomes more sophisticated, uh, perhaps more rigid, maybe less able to deal with things it's not aware of, or maybe more able to deal with things it doesn't understand, depending on exactly how you study and how your brain adapts, but. Um, all of that learning you do, formal, informal, becomes a model that your brain is constantly fitting the inputs to. And you can train your brain in a way, I think, I believe. Because, uh, you know, if you sit and play a computer game, uh, you're you're, uh, sort of learning the physics of that game. And if you play it a lot and you play it uh, sort of, you get really into it and you don't really keep in your mind that it's a simulation that doesn't apply to the external world that you live in, then it becomes something that can incorporate and become, I wouldn't call it dangerous, but it can become something that's sort of a a false uh, set of how things can work in the world. And whether that's, you know, physics, like you think you can rocket jump or if it's uh, economics, because, uh, uh, the economic model you're uh, exposed to, or even become hyper trained because it's a it's a particularly good model that teaches you something that maybe you wouldn't learn in the real world, but you learn in this fun environment. It's reinforced anyway. So your brain becomes uh, trained to these models, and then the inputs come in, and your brain fits them. And I think that's that's just really cool because I think that that understanding will color all the rest of our our discussion tonight about what what exactly we're perceiving and versus what we are uh, we can understand what we see and what other people see and understand. Well, you touched you touched on something up that I'd like to talk about. Uh, that's you know the whole virtual worlds. Uh, you you know both of us have been in the past pretty pretty big MMO type of players. Though I haven't played anything in a long time. Um, but you know you get immersed in the world. Uh, the world certainly can be more fun than re- reality. And some people really like. It's like a drug. They they go through withdrawal symptoms if they're away from it. It's just, you know, it's living imagination. It's just brought to being for you in these worlds. You can fly, you uh, you can cast spells, or you can, you know, uh, be be some kind of champion from uh, a kingdom. You know, things you just could only really get in your dreams um, uh, before you had the interactive kind of uh, thing. I mean, I kind of think of like a, a video game like that. An immersive MMO is kind of almost like being able to play co- consciously in a dream. You can go where, anywhere and do anything. And that's, that's a big attraction to a lot of ima- you know people that love imagination. I and know it, uh, it physically you get a sort of an endorphin hit and the people who create these games have, 
they learn. You know, they have learned over the many, many years of these uh, games of any of all types. Endorphin, so you uh, you get rewarded, and they know that if you just reward someone at a steady pace, you will get someone playing uh, at a certain enjoyment level, which is not as successful as say they get no reward ever. If you play a game quote game and there's never any reward because it's too difficult then people quit and the next level up is these rewards that are steady that are very common uh that happen and they happen and they happen at a steady pace they happen they happen and people play those and are happy but what really gets people what's really addictive is the irregular the thing where you get something and you don't get something and you don't get something and then you don't get something and then you do get something and then you don't, and then you don't, and they do, and then you do, and then you don't, and 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 then you do, and that's that is the really addictive endorphin hits that MMOs um, that, that we both played play those that are uh, very effective at that. So you put in a lot of effort and you get these irregular hits, and you just get that addiction of those endorphin feel good, and it, it just pulls you in, and then you are literally addicted to you know, not like heroin, but like you know, but naturally let addicted. You, let me ask you this. You're right. I mean, like I, when I'm really into one, I can feel the addiction. I don't really want to do much else. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been in one in a long time. Uh, I didn't like world of Warcraft. I know, I know, shoot me. But, uh, so that kind of got me out when everyone got so sucked into world of Warcraft because I like my world's a bit more serious, you know, uh, epic even. And, uh, you know, I think the you first time dislike I walked, the silliness, right? You don't like yeah, the silliness. The first time I walked up to a, a troll and he started speaking reggae to me, I just logged out. I was just, you know, I've tried to play it, you know, a few times over the years too, and you know, I'll play a little, but it just, it just, I don't know, it just wasn't the same for me, so I kind of stopped. But when playing, I, I certainly can feel that addiction level. Um, I love, uh, I love to be immersed in it. And I got a question for you, you know, and it, this is this is really true. But when you when you step out into the real world, it can carry over a little bit. Like I remember a long time ago when uh, Ultima Online came out. This is my first real experience with an MMO, and I jumped in and got immersed. And I believe about three months later was the first time I saw daylight. Okay. Uh, and in in Ultima Online, they have this. They have, it was the Wild Wild West. They didn't understand all the things that they would new, need to do to protect a player base from shenanigans. And because one of the first things people do when they get the power to do anything without any kind of repercussions is they do evil things. <laughs> Groups of people band together and do evil things. And in UO, it was no different. Uh, and you had people that would run around and they, they would pickpocket you all the time. Uh, they would do what's called player kill or PKU. If you, you know, if you even step foot out of town, ninety uh, percent chance you were going to be, you know, murdered. So it got to where you you had to get a group together before you ever tried to leave town. And uh, you know, but when you when I stepped out of that game for that first time, I can remember I, I, I went out with some friends, 
And I had such a problem with people standing close to me. I felt like they were going to pick my pocket like in UO. And I never had that problem before. And it was, it was real noticeable. I was just, was very uncomfortable in that crowd. And, uh, it was, I mean, and there was no rational thing for it. My my brain knew I was in the real world, but still, it had some effect on me. You know. Okay, so I do understand, and I'll I'll say that MMOs have had a very weak effect on me because I don't like the mechanics of the gameplay. Uh, you know, just walking around, hitting one, two, three, four, five, uh, and having something happen. that's not even a description of good of modern MMOs but there's just something about the mechanics of the gameplay EverQuest uh, World of Warcraft where it's just something doesn't match up I played a lot of EverQuest for the interaction with my friends that I had made on there and as soon as that started to you know the real world friends or whatever is it the shift the balance the shift or whatever uh i just got less and less interested in it uh until it was only for the friend interaction which it, it's just online only at that point and eventually the actual gameplay uh was it's like a poison growing and growing uh and i just had to had, had to exit out and there's a bunch of other uh, reasons there but that, that's the the gist of it is that uh, I never really liked the gameplay uh, of the MMOs, so I was always sort of, uh, I don't know, immune to it, but I was definitely uh, inoculated to some degree to those, those games. However, that's not applied to other types of games that have aspects like uh, games that are more action-oriented. I enjoy much more, and as soon as they started incorporating MMO stuff into them, I, I started, they were very effective against, uh, against me. Um, one of the games that I had a similar experience to what you were saying was not an MMO. It was an action game. It was the uh, late 90s, and I played a lot of a game called Netrek, which was a uh, multiplayer online surprise Star Trek based game where you just fought. And it was competitive to some degree. Um, I got to hold you up. Got to hold you up. I'm sorry to interrupt. We need, we need a phaser sound or one of those uh, little, little Kirk sounds anytime you mention Star Trek to kind of pay you back for Conan. Crom. Okay, cool. I know what I know what sound we're gonna have right now. We've had a little like a like a little uh, communicator opening up. Yeah, yeah. First time you say it's gonna have to happen. All right. Well, anyway, so I do think well, you now mention Star Trek as much, if not more. Well, I'm gonna keep mentioning Star Trek. This is a major influence on my life. The okay. uh, the anyway, Net Trek. I played a lot of it, and I'd play. You know, like detrimentally to my grades in college, you know, that type of level. Uh, and I was driving home late one night from the lab, having played a lot of Netrek. And in, in Netrek, uh, you've got starships, right? And you got lasers and I mean, phasers. I got phasers, not lasers, phasers and torpedoes and uh, transporters and shields and uh, pressers and tractor beams, right? Anyway, so it's a tactical game where you're fighting other players. And, you know, a tactic would be like you presser someone to sort of hold them in place and you shoot them. Or you tractor them in and sort of get them closer so you can shoot them, etc. Anyway, so I'm driving home one night. And uh, I'm on the road. And I've been playing many hours of this game. 
and I come up to a turn and there's a car, you know, I, I'm going left and there's a car going to go in the, in the place where I'm across the place where I'm going to be turning into. And I swear, I just barely caught myself from attempting to pressure the car to hold it up a little bit while I could turn in front of it, which wasn't going to work. So, yeah. <laughs> so when I did that, I was like, Whoa, that's a little crazy. Let's let's cut it back a little bit, which I didn't. But I was definitely aware at that moment that I was, you know, fatigue, late nights, a lot of just being trained in a certain way that uh, I definitely felt it, it wasn't psychological like you, like people people were not the problem. It was just like pressure this car, take a turn in front of them. I don't know what I was going to do. I was going to torpedo them as I went by. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I definitely felt that. The, the fantasy world creeping into the real world from repetition and just immerse, immersion. So it can be scary. Warning. Don't do it too much. So how do we know that the real world, not the virtual world we play? You know what I mean? You go in there, they get so immersed. What makes us realize when we're back and our focus is all, you know... To me, I, I don't uh, know if it, I don't. So I'm just going to skip to the end and, be, and give you the conclusion, and we can talk about it. But I think ultimately, we we don't know, have a, a way right now to know whether this is a simulation, where with whether we're on some starship, reliving our past lives as we travel a thousand a thousand light years to some distant planet, and we're just having our brain stimulated or we live in a simulation built by some super being that aren't there tests for that though like i mean like i I remember reading something i can't give any details but just on a high level i remember seeing something about there are certain tests you can tell you can do to see if you're in a simulation i think there was some speculation about some tests um and you know people people look at what we understand about reality when you get down to the quantum level, how it's not, you know, it's not analog. Basically, it's quantum. It's you're at state A, you're at state B. You don't really travel between those, and that's a gross simplification. That's the best I can do. But they they look at that and say, well, that's that's consistent with some kind of optimization because whatever, and or because of some calculation that has to be doing in this supercomputer. But then there's also stuff like. And uh, we're living in a simulation. We're living in a hologram. You know, we're just two-dimensional, really, on the edge of the universe, and we're being projected three-dimensionally. Okay, I don't know. I'm sure I didn't describe that well, but there's a, there's a bunch of these sort of deep philosophical questions that talk about the nature of reality. And by analogy, they say, well, the brain is X, so therefore you move it one layer, one level out, and... Is the universe even real? Are we just having our brains in a jar somewhere, metaphorically or literally, in some way? Um, so tests, I don't, I don't think there's a clear test. Uh, it, it has, I mean, what what is falsifiable about that? You have to say, is reality real? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know personally anything that is definitive, and I don't think there is anything. And it would be kind of earth shattering if someone could come up with something like that because uh, then, then you can apply it in any situation you, you get to like um, some kind of mathematical or, or something some calculation that can only be happened in the real world if you, can, if you can come up with a solution you know it's the real world and if you can't then you know it's, it has to be some level deep it just I, I think I, I'm going to spend a little time this week I'm 
I'm going to look into things that, you know, specific questions or challenges so you can kind of challenge reality, uh, you know, just, just because I think it's an interesting exercise to do. You know, let's, uh, you know, obviously ever since I was a kid, I led a certain life and I've seen the certain things and I've been through these experiences and I believe they're all real and I believe I live in the real world and the reality we have. But I do think it's an interesting exercise to challenge that and to think about it. So I think I'll look into this a little more. Okay. And also consider the philosophical position that it doesn't matter, right? That you know, ethically or morally, it doesn't matter whether we live in a you know, level three of, of 20 or we have managed to move up to two or one. We're in the quote real world or what even that even means. I think, I think philosophically, even if we could figure out a test that because, because of um, maybe external, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but I think it would ultimately reduce down to, it doesn't matter. But uh, anyway, so if you come up with some tasks, we can talk about those next week and, and see. That'd be kind of, it'll yeah. be very interesting. Yeah, definitely kind of a an interesting subject. Just you know, are we in some kind of virtual reality simulator? You know, uh, but you know, even past that, just you know, let's 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 assume that this is real life. Just the escapism the mind's able to pr- provide when you've had, like I said, like a traumatic experience. You know, uh, people seriously can't even remember very traumatic things that happened to them. And you're like, well, how can you not remember? But the mind just won't let them. It, it throws up this wall and protects them, you know. Uh, at least, like, again, I'm not a psychologist, but at least that's how it's portrayed on TV and movies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've never met someone who, who, who's like that. Who's just, and I, you know, I'm sure, sure they do exist and, um, or, or some form of that exists, but, um, you know, so, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I can, I can believe it because I know that when something bad happens to me, you know, I don't like to dwell on it. So, and dwelling is sort of a type of remembering, right? Also, also, that is true, but we'll also lie to ourselves, make things fit us to build our own egos up. Uh, You know, if, uh, if things don't go quite your way with, you know, what you were trying to achieve, then you, you know, rationalize, you know, a way why you didn't get that job or, or, uh, you know, why your uh, latest painting wasn't well received, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, right. And, and, and I understand that because, uh, in some ways it's your brain saying this, this model you had that led to you expecting that to, to be successful is faulty and a, sort of a failure. I mean, not totally, but you know, a little bit in some way. And so let's not, let's, let's adjust the model, uh, by going through, and thinking about other things, so I, I can see that that uh, that happening both for positive reasons and for negative reasons. Uh, and, and by the negative, I mean like subtracting, like taking away the, your, the, from the model, but also positive because other things you're thinking about are emphasized and become m- more of the model that you actually uh, depend on. Yeah. 
Well, that was that was a brain that was a brain thing we just did. I got a I'm kind of uh, I don't know. <laughs> the brain makes you think. Yes, very chill, very chill conversation compared to most of our other stuff. Uh, so let's move on to something else. Let's move on yeah. to um, what's cool. Tell okay. me something. All right. Well, the only. Th- uh, I've been looking at some things, and one of the things I found was this idea of a warp drive. And uh, a couple episodes ago, you know, we've had so many, so I'm just going to be vague like that. A couple episodes ago, we talked about faster than light and parallel universes and stuff. So I did a little research, and the best sort of explanation of a warp drive that is in any way possible, as we understand it, uh, it, it uses some some terminology I can't pronounce and by, and so forth. But I found a PBS uh, documentary on YouTube uh, from 2015 that sort of lays it out, and I will attempt to put that in the show notes. But it is uh, PBS and Warp Drive, and it, it is – oh, my God, this dude's name. I can't even – can't even speak. It's A-L-C-U-B-I-E-R-R-E. Uh, is that Warp Drive possible? Space Time, PBS Digital Studios. Uh, it's on YouTube, and it currently has just under a million views. So maybe, maybe if all of our imaginary friends go and view it, we could get it up to a million. Is this the warp drive that isn't supposed to be working, but does? Is, is this? No, I think this is. This, there's a history this, of this about um, mathematics in like early '90s. Someone laid out a, a mathematical foundation, and there. All the problem was it took basically all the energy in the universe and some other uh, levels of, of impossible amounts of energy to, to work. Uh, and, and so people took that and sort of refined it and uh, re- reduced the amount of energy to not impossible levels. I mean, not theoretically impossible levels, still impossible for us, but not theoretically impossible. Um, and there was another doc, uh, another one I was reading. I don't know if this one has uh, this is the one that has it, but there's a it basically oscillates. And well, the idea is that it will sort of weaken space time around it. And the the key the key piece was as it oscillates the the shape of space changes you know with gravity and it can sh- 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 uh, shift the shape of space and it's the key piece was that how fast uh, space time can shift shape is not limited to, to light speed it can just basically do it at any speed um, and so they oscillate back and forth and they weaken space time. Well, you know, this means. is the, this is kind of the popular idea about how aliens might travel, uh, to earth. You know, really that, that whole dimensional travel, basically, uh, yeah, get out, and, and it yeah. separates itself, basically creates a bubble of separated space time, which is the key because at, at that point you are somewhere fragmented off and you can do X. You can, go somewhere else because you're you've you've, you've separated from um, causality otherwise uh, the rest of the universe uh, anyway so I'll well, put that in know, notes it's, very, it's very interesting that you bring this up because uh, you know our plans are to talk we're to, to talk about some alien stuff later but I have to point out a few things one thing is that what you just described is very popularly considered to be the way that aliens are traveling and it kind of explains the lights 
everyone's like, well, why do they have all these lights? Why are they, why are they're always being reported as a glowing this or a burning ball or whatever? Well, you know, when you're kind of warping reality around you, that's what it would look like, you know? Uh, okay. Why would and, it look like, why, why would it look like that? Uh, just because it's oscillating and, tra- and basically trans, you know, shifting back and forth between dimensions. Uh, which is uh, also something later when I we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. I, I don't want to uh, get what's cool out of whack here, but uh, it also if you'll you watch a lot of the NASA videos, which is something I find very interesting. The, the times you see them on there, they also appear to be oscillating like that with light, and uh, uh, just interesting point that you'd bring this warp drive up because that's that's kind of something I was going to talk about later. Okay. Anyway. Well, oscill- oscillation is not that uncommon. Uh, and, and to go back and forth, I mean, your car oscillates. You know the uh, the piston back and forth, back and forth, up and down. Well, I just uh, so I'm saying going from dimension to dimension. You know, light basically. You know, to travel light speed, or, or, or I think the way that it's usually kind of explained is they sort of uh, agitate themselves into like another dimension in which able they're able to warp drive, like you're speaking, by kind of shaping it, like, you know? like medieval monks beating themselves to agitate themselves. So they they agitate themselves, and they're so upset they go to. A higher plane of existence. And, it's and just travel. interesting, though, because like a lot of the better footage, the things glow, or they're very well. They have lights, and they often strobe. You know, I mean, I mean, this is very common amongst UFO sightings, and uh, you know, it's interesting to me that it's a proposed technology that's kind of, you know, real, you know, <laughs> I mean, so we at least believe it could be real, you know? So, uh, that's interesting. Stranger things. Yeah. Stranger things have happened. Uh, anything else cool? You know, I don't, I don't have anything else cool right now. Uh, uh no, to, no, no electric eyelashes from the future energy. Eyelashes, that was so awesome, man. I don't know how we're ever going to beat that. Well, we could go back to the peas in a pod, the, the space, space space plants, the people are growing people. Uh, I, uh, I think that was uh, <laughs> a true fake product that's never going to happen. Um, I hope the self-cutting your ass happens. But I don't have any other cool stuff no. other than that PBS I have something thing. that's kind of old but I read it recently while okay. I was hit me well you know they've like teleported a particle right uh, yeah so that's uh, quantum teleportation where they can sort of entangle things and then that's as my understanding ends they can uh, move that photons or the, the energy from one place to another without really going between them all they need to do now is just kind of you know hey we've got that down let's just figure out how to atomize everyone and put them back together right that shouldn't be too hard i mean we move one molecule we move them all right well it's not molecules i don't think maybe maybe it is molecules but the entanglement it's not possible to transport information so you still have causality uh so excuse me so even though you sort of 
transport this thing across these vast distances theoretically without traversing the distance between them, the what you can carry along with you is limited. Um, the the actual the so things in science fiction that talk about uh, being able to communicate communicate over distances, um, the Ansible where you entangle things and you separate them from great distances and then you can communicate. So even though you wouldn't be able to travel except unless you could transmit people over as information, uh, you could still communicate and, and, uh, the, the science fiction, Ender, the science fiction book Ender's Game and later the movie sort of had this where they're, you know, they have a commander in the back who could send, send messages to the fleet so even though the fleet was limited to light speed, they could communicate great distances, and he could he could see uh, what was going on and give commands and stuff. Um, I think I I, I think uh, given reasonable amount of time, that probably information will be the most we can ever transport in that way, and so probably we'll still be limited light speed, but maybe won't have to worry about intervening intervening, you know stars and stuff but anyway the uh the, the real kicker is if we could digitize people like scan them in some way and make a copy that was identical whatever that means um somewhere else so they could seem to travel so they step into a booth and then they seem to step out of a booth elsewhere where elsewhere is very far away yeah you know uh what's that movie uh hugh jackman is like a magician and he, he is that figures, the, the prestige. Yeah, yeah. So he figures out uh, how to basically do this, but every time it happens, he creates another copy of himself, and then he murders that copy to keep living. But every time he steps through there, he he never knows which one of him was really him. Yeah. You know, who was going? Which consciousness was going to be right. the duplicate, and which was going to be the original? Which which so, was yeah? If someone said, "Hey, Daniel, you step into this booth, and we're going to disintegrate you, and then we're going to rebuild you, you'll not feel a thing. You'll be, carry on just like you are right now, one hundred percent. But you know, you wouldn't be." Think about that, okay? So, if they were able to kill you, you know, because that's even if they weren't technically killing you, if they break you apart, atom by atom, and reassemble you, even if they do it perfectly, you didn't exist for a, a little bit, you know. So then you kind of start wondering about like things like where's my soul at when you get put back together. But it would be really neat if they could do it because if they could just pull you all apart and then throw you right back together and everything still works and none of those atoms die from lack of oxygen or whatever else that you know that's needed. I mean, would you step in that booth? That would, I mean, that would be. So let's, you know, let's expand the conversation a little bit and talk about not let's just compare uh, comparing contrast to a slightly different situation where you have the different atoms right where they they you scan you at, at, at a, a quantum level at, you know beyond quantum whatever whatever degree of accuracy and precision you want to, to say um, that there is an ability then to store or copy that 
pattern that's scanned so that for a brief moment, there's two absolutely identical versions of you, right? And then they destroy the original. Uh, so what I was talking about before is if they could, tra- you know, so they could, in an intervening time, they could transmit that information that they've stored great distance, a little bit of distance, you know, basically a transporter and, uh, you know, they reassemble or did they just assemble those, that pattern from some, some spare parts, spare atoms they have hanging around into a functionally absolutely identical version of you that existed just previously. So it's very similar. So differences in what you were from, from what you were saying was that, uh, they're not the same atoms. They're not, temporarily disassociated and then reassociated they are just otherwise identical where, where you had a, a couple of carbon atoms and an oxygen atom over here in this little space and over here is at distant x there are some other atoms exactly the same on the other side and when you I get started up, you, i promise you if a company ever develops this They'll claim it's the other way no matter what because no one's going to step through there going, this is going to kill me, even though I'm going to immediately be back alive again. No one. Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me throw in a one third situation that is similar and it goes back to our brain talk. And that is you are standing there and someone can scan your head, your brain, and they get an exact scan copy of that. And they have a really powerful computer, which has ability to simulate reality. And they start running that simulation in the computer so that effectively you wake up inside some environment inside a computer and they can control the what the brain receives, the, the electrical impulses and stuff, so that they can experience a reality with inside the computer. So the simulation of the brain inside the computer uh, is functionally identical to outside the computer um, because the physical environment is so si- simulated to such a fidelity that you can't tell. So that's the that's the are we living in reality or are we in some kind of simulation, right? So that there is no functional difference between uh, the reality and the two, the, the simulated reality and the external reality and the brain fidelity of experience is the same so that you have effectively been uploaded to the computer. Uh, is that different than the disassemble and re- reassemble to so the brain and the computer time X didn't exist time X plus one does exist, but it has all the memories from X and, and before. Uh, to the person outside, that, that is that is the original. Uh, there's now a effect, effect, effectively a functional copy of their brain running in some a computer. Uh, they have been uploaded, but they themselves still continue to exist outside of it. So even though they've been uploaded. It goes back to the the prestige problem of which is the original and which is the um, which is the copy because the next step obviously is that the computer can and the computer copy can then be copied and so forth like that. Uh, is that is that different than from the second scenario where you are making a copy, disassembling atoms, and then reassembling from the pattern? Yeah, all I know is no one's going to reassemble my atoms. 
I would not be brave enough to use that technology. What if you were to? What if you were coming to the conclusion that our reality is indeed a simulation to some degree? That you are already uh, uh, running. I mean, then it wouldn't matter, you know, if I if I truly believed that, you know, uh, you know, like well, like like, like I said. said the, yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it really ultimately matters uh, whether you live in reality or this fake fake reality. With all the products are fake by fake code, right? They they uh, in, in the simulated world versus in the quote real world, an external world. Um, how you act, what happens to you, is is equally. Um, they're equal. They're morally equivalent, ethically equivalent. Uh, personally, the the problem I would have would be the. It's weird, but it'd be the old copy that would continue to exist, right? So if if something like that were to happen to me, what I would want to happen would be that I'd be put to sleep, like not like I put an animal or pet to sleep, but like you know you go to sleep, you get unconscious, ready for surgery or something, you're unconscious, and then. The process happens, and then you wake up at step two, reassembled in rather, you know, from your original atoms or from different atoms, or your uploaded consciousness wakes up in the simulated reality and never have the option, possibility of the original waking back up. That's that's what I would prefer, even though that would effectively mean that this body that I currently possess would be effectively dead. There would only be one strain of consciousness that continues, but it's me. And maybe my thoughts on that will evolve if that, any of that becomes possible. But the um, the idea that if we have a unique set that's attached to our physical, like my finger that has a splinter in it, is somehow special because of the particular atoms that make it up that eventually connect to other atoms connect to other atoms that are sending impulses into my brain I don't I don't believe that that's particularly important from a philosophical perspective I could be wrong yeah well it's a lot of food for thought and all very cool but uh I, I just, you know, it's just something to me that would be that's it's so mind blowing that even if I wouldn't trust the machines, of course, you know, I'm partially paranoid anyway, but I just I wouldn't trust a, a machine like that to get me there and it really be me, you know. I don't know, it's just creepy, <laughs> very creepy. Yeah, and, and if you if you didn't trust it, then you would wake up and be like, oh my god, is this what I would really be thinking, or is this just a copy? Thinking this only because it's a copy, you'd have, you'd have I mean, to you'd have to have, like have a deep, true under belief that it was really you, or you quickly, I think, or eventually, devolve into just paranoia and psychosis and <laughs> have some problems. Well, very cool. Uh, okay, so ready for the week in fantasy art. It hit me. I want. I want. I was. I was very impressed last week about uh, uh, what you told me, and I know you have less this week, but that's okay. Just hit, did, hit me with what you, you got. Uh, yeah. Did you? Um, well, just we'll do a follow up 
up on it. Did you looked into the Fantasia stuff, the auction at Heritage? A, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, that's as far as I'll, I'll go. It's been a busy week, but I did look at it. So yes. Okay. So that's cool. So uh, what, we have a guy here who doesn't. He's never really looked into fantasy art, and here he is taking a peek. That's kind of why I'm doing this. Uh, so this is Phantasmal.com's week in, fan, in fantasy art. I'm changing that. I've been been calling it imaginative realism. But I realized a couple things. Uh, one, I'm on much more on a broader spectrum than just imaginative realism. And it's even though it is the primary thing I kind of follow, you know, uh, there's just all sorts of other little, you know, things that we, we can uh, talk about. And fantasy art also happens to be wild, wildly more used as a keyword. So, hey, a little marketing bar as well. So I think uh, we're going to call it the Week in Fantasy Art. And this week, I don't have a ton. I wasn't, it's, you know, there are going to be like weeks where it's a lot and we'll talk for 20 minutes and there'll be weeks where it'll be five minutes and that's what it is um this week i found several cool pieces uh uh, a donato g and cola drawing uh, on ebay uh went for below 200 which if you follow that at all you know it never sells for less than like 500 dollars for a donato drawing so someone got a great deal uh, if they, you know, I know everyone on Phantasmal gets those messages. It's, if, if you're, if you are a, if you have liked Phantasmal, the page, make sure you also go to the page and read the instructions on getting to the group because the group is where you'll get the alerts sent to you proactively to your email. And unlike a page where they only show a certain percentage of the people that follow it, the article, uh, groups get the email. So if you don't want to miss things, and uh, you, that's where you need to go, is uh, go to facebook.com slash phantasmalart then actually look at the pin top instructions on how to like the group as well, or just hit the sign up button. That's where it takes you. Um, so other art, art news, really, uh, there's a, a at, at, at Heritage this week, they, they kind of do a weekly auction that also is on comes to the side of some of the bigger ones. Um, and this week I noticed there's a couple of one of my, one of my favorite little artists, uh, Stephen Fabian, who's to me, just one of the best pencilers there is, uh, his, uh, you know, a lot of older work, uh, it's great body of work that he has and you can find all sorts of different subject matter. Uh, I know of three pieces right now. There's two on heritage, uh, the ones on heritage, one, it's kind of a Conan type. Oh, I said Conan. I meant a barbarian (laughs) with, uh, with a female. I'm so happy that happened. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a, barbarian female lizard piece and then there's um kind of a surreal colored piece which i don't see a lot of colored stephen fabian stuff really and uh it's like it's a page 59 uh from uh uh the dream of x and you know that's okay talk to me What, what is the dream of x I have no earthly idea, but it was, it's a very, very colorful dream. I can tell you that. Um, so, you know, you can check it out. Uh, it, I, I've, I've never heard of the dream of X, so I really don't know what's 
about and I didn't look that up uh, but it's like I said most of this stuff's older work um, and it is there interesting um, well I, I looked it up real quick because we have the internet it says The Dream of X is an abridged version of the 1912 science fiction novel by William Hope Hodgson The Night of the Nightland so oh yeah fiction. that's uh, like a uh, uh, M. Don, Don, Donald Grant thing published thing right yeah uh, which uh, here comes the second Conan mention <laughs> we have, have done a bunch of uh, of uh, the, the deluxe Conan books uh, they never quite finished it you know there's there's roughly 19 stories and they I think they got 11 of them in print before it lost stand but there's some uh, illustrated books that are really neat that, by the same publisher. Uh, over at Comic Link, there is another Stephen Fabian piece, and this piece is really cool. It's kind of like melted astronauts in space. That's the best way I can explain it. Uh, but this is just, I mean, that's some astounding work. Um Really astounding work. So take a look at that. There's also a Richard Kane Ferguson piece in there. Uh, he's kind of a he's an old school magic artist. You you will know this guy, okay? Uh, Daniel, uh, do you remember um, the legend uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the legend card? No. The- yes. Yes. Now that I said no, I do remember it. Yes, Magic the Gathering, yes. Yes, Magic Gathering, Nebuchadnezzar. Well, th- that's the artist. And they have uh, a cool piece of some, looks like a window, kind of like a Viking bear man running another bear, running a real bear through with a, well, it's a spear. It's pretty, it's pretty badass, really. I, you know, uh, best way I can put that. It's a, it's a badass piece. Um uh, just lots of lots of little things uh, that are in the comic links auctions are always worth looking at. You uh, never know what you'll find. Obviously, it's very heavy in superhero page art. So if that's your thing, you probably are there, uh, you know, all the time. Anyway, um, they always have have a lot of that. But uh, I'm always looking for the the little pieces that kind of are sliding through. You know. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of it. Uh, not, not a lot going on. Uh, there's actually two things I w- wanted to talk about, but I looked at the dates, and I think they're more appropriate to speak about next week. So um, okay. I'll keep those. Well, that, uh, I learned something from this Dream of X. I'm going to check it in a 1912 science fiction novel. That's, that's right up my alley. So I'm going to check that out, see what that's about. Yeah. You might you might want this page 59, though. You know, you read it and you're like, wow, this is the coolest dream of X I've ever read. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to get like, I'll have to start looking for other ones. You know, you know what it, it says it's a 200,000 word novel. So there may be some other, other, uh, <laughs> other pages I might be interested in. Yeah, definitely so. Uh, well, let, that, that's it for the week in fantasy art um, next week I will be talking about uh, upcoming thing very dear to my heart I'm going to give you a clue I'm going to give you a clue uh, it's very music oriented but f- 
from a very popular movie. One of one of four posters on my wall and probably something that warped my childhood. Can you guess what it is? Mm. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. Uh, I'm not gonna guess. I'm gonna cut this whole not guessing thing out. Uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea. Music music is not my thing, unfortunately. I mean, I like well, music, but I just I, saying. Uh, okay, look. What if I told you uh, that one, the soundtrack is probably more famous than the movie? <laughs> so AC, DC and Iron Man two or something? I, I have no idea. Uh, no, no. Okay. Well, next time. Next time. Uh, before we get to the fake sponsor, though, I want to. I, I, I want to. I want to combine your uh, fantasy art with uh, some research we were doing for our next segment after our, our sponsor read. Um, Barlow's Guide to Extra, Extraterrestrials, Aliens. Uh, that's the book I had, and I believe I got the reprint, which was done in the 80s. Uh, I don't know how I got that book. I don't know if I just picked it up or was given to a gift or if I got like a book club edition or something I, I have no idea uh, but that was really my first introduction to many 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 aliens that weren't were not Romulans or Klingons um, and it's a uh, it's got again Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials and basically he took a bunch of uh, science fiction stories and he decided he was going to draw them um and paint them and create create the uh, visuals of them so that you know they existed in in these books and he made them uh, fantasy art or science fiction art I guess you would say and that that, that is when I saw this come came up I was like oh yeah that is like a flash flash from my childhood and I've got to find this book I have this book in box a uh, box somewhere I've got to find it uh, and I'm my objective for the next. I don't know, lifetime, is to go back and read every science fiction story that's referenced in that thing. I've read a few of those, um, but very few of them, and, I, and some of them I've never even heard of, so I obviously have forgotten. I have some popular ones, uh, famous ones like Highland and uh, uh, Larry Niven and so forth, Asimov and so forth, but other people I, I, I won't. I won't say them because I'm sure people are like, what? Of course you haven't never heard of those, but uh, a bunch of stuff that I've never heard of, so I'm going to go, I'm going to read those. Anyway, so uh, the second piece of that is that book was very popular and they came out with uh, Barlow's Guide to Fantasy, which is also a book that I had never heard of until going and looking this up on Wikipedia. It's a 1996 fantasy book uh, by the same Wayne Barlow. Um, it has a bunch of a bunch of it's basically the same thing instead of science fiction it's fantasy it has things I have read and I've read more on this than the science fiction side uh, have, have things for instance uh, things I haven't read like well I have let's go with the things I have read like uh, um, Stephen L. Donaldson's Lord Fowl's Bane they have uh, Alice in Wonderland The Caterpillar uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Adventures in Wonderland, The Caterpillar, uh, yeah. and, and so forth like that. It has a, a bunch of stuff. Um, Dan Simmons' Summer of Night. Just there's a bunch of interesting things. 
in there. I'm, 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 I got to get this book. So, uh, yeah, you, you talked about before about sort of opening opening the door. There's a there's a way to open the door is to yeah say hey here's science fiction and also a similar thing in fantasy. And man, I, I've read a lot of these, but maybe maybe I should consider myself a, a fantasy reader instead of a science fiction reader. But anyway, I gotta get this book and look at it. I've never, I've never seen this or heard of it before tonight. Okay, so now we can move on to our fake sponsor. Fake sponsor. Are you a human? Are you sure? You've taken DNA tests, and you know you're seventy-five percent African, or seventy-five percent Northeastern Mongolian, or. Western Californian or whatever. But what about that other? You know what I'm talking about. The other. 9.85% other. 7.64% other. 12.8% other. What is the other? Now, FACO can tell you if that other is other. Non-human. Non-terrestrial. With its simple, clean, clear feedback, you'll get one of two answers. No. You have no alien DNA. And oh, fuck! Big sponsor. Okay, good good talk. And... As, uh, We're at an hour right now. What? <laughs> We're at oh an God. hour. That's what happens when I talk. I'll just keep going and going. Uh, we gotta, we got to talk a little bit about aliens. I mean, just but we're not going to be able to fit aliens. We're not going to be able to fit the aliens in. <laughs> I mean, really, we're going to be an hour and a half. This will be the longest show if we start talking about aliens. All right, all right. Yeah, if we talk about aliens, but I want to talk about. I want to talk about that section about are they hostile or not, because. I think there's just there's a level of hostility that is so far beyond what we consider hostile. Hostile uh, and humans are nasty beings that will do nasty things to each other and invade and, and wipe out entire peoples. But I think if you really let your imagination go uh, abstractly, of course, you don't have to get into details about the types of hostility. I think. I think there's some interesting stuff there that we should save for next time. What do you think? Well, I mean, we can talk. I just think we're going to end up uh, going way over because, I mean, I've got a lot to say on the subject. Uh, let's see. Why don't we just start it, and then we can two-part it. We can start the next one. <laughs> the continuation? I don't know. All right. Let's, let's start it. Whatever. Okay. It's it's alone. Are we alone? Are we alone? All right. So let's let, let me talk about this just very briefly. I know. I've, Math, I, let's talk about the mathematical. You knew exactly where I was going to go. Just yeah, statistically right. speaking, uh, so there's so many stars, so much space, so many galaxies, so many superclusters, so many, so much just over and over again, stars and galaxies, superclusters again and again and again. So much space out there that. It's just, are, are we the only thing in the whole universe that can think? I think it's ridiculous to think that. It's technically yeah. kind of like, you know, possible. And I think if we are, 
right now that it's not it's just a timing thing like maybe we're the first intelligent species to look out in the stars i mean time and again humanity has learned that we are not special but so thinking oh we're the first that's super great negatory ghost rider that's what i would say the odds of that are so slim you know uh when I look around this planet, the first thing I see is just millions and millions of forms of life at every size level and every every different ecosystem just thriving. One, I mean, it's it's endless the amount of life forms we see, some of which are quite intelligent. Um, right. So, what that. What that tells me is that if life gets started, it really fills up the niches, right? It really, it, it goes as much as it can. Of course, it takes a while to go from like one cell to two cells, you know, billions of years. But once it gets going, multicellular, it just, it just keeps, it's just a snowball effect. More complex, more complicated, more niches, more specialties. And so forth until, you know, and I'm sure you'll talk about this. Until but, finally you reach an octopus who can take your picture. Yeah, or something even more crazy than that. Like, you know. <laughs> That's a real thing, though. You know that? Did, did you see that? We, uh, that should have probably been in What's Cool. And that, that is pretty cool. And then, have uh, you seen I'm that? Not sure that's cool. That, that is the thing that's going to kill you, is the octopus taking a picture. So there, there is an octopus. They showed him three times what to do, and he can now take your picture. Great. Actually, that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, so life... It feels, as as, feels in the miniatures and, and is is infinitely or almost infinitely adaptable once it gets started. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, it goes out here. It's just, just bursting at the seams, has to fill the niches, you know, uh, as you say. And, uh, you know, that's unique to this one little speck in the universe. I just highly doubt it. Uh, what the Drake equation. I mean, you know, it's there's there's probably just untold numbers of civilizations out there, and it really, the real question we should be asking is, you know, is is warp drive, you know, space time bending travel possible? Because. And this is where you start getting into the idea of, of visitation or whatever. Is because if it's possible, mathematically, it's probably already in existence. Hello, uh, a bunch of uh, descendants from uh, monkeys uh, can now teleport a small molecule. <laughs> you know, I just – it's – more than likely in existence if there are other intelligent races and mathematically speaking there's no way they're not and uh with the age of the you know with the age of the universe uh is as we know it i mean the idea that we're the first is that's that's pretty that's pretty far-fetched too i think yeah the the counters to the to to that not an encounter it's just sort of the uh, a contrast, maybe, is uh, if there's so many, so much life, and this is a rhetorical question. If there's so much life, where is it? Uh, and, I'm, and I know what you'd say is like, well, it's 
maybe it's visiting us right now, but there's also the the obvious. Why can't we look across the stars and see uh, obvious signs of civilization? Superstructures just littered across, maybe uh, dead civilizations that didn't clean up the trash, and they're just uh, you know weird spectrographic results that we look at a star and see some stuff. Maybe we just haven't looked enough, uh, but I, I think uh, it's you know it fills the niches right. If it's if it is out there and we're not the first, then the obvious next question is why isn't it everywhere? Why why, why do we even get a chance to start? Because it should have already swept over our solar system and filled out every niche billions of years ago with already evolved multicellular life and we would never had a chance uh and that's that's you know one thing and then to the counter to the counter or to the second frame in the conversation is that uh, a great filter something that over and over again is encountered by species and life that prevents them from becoming really advanced that prevents them from uh, spreading through the stars, uh, whether that's well, everyone, yeah, everyone hypothesizes. You know, can you uh, get out of the stage where you're self-destructive? You know, because we have the power to kill ourselves right now. We all know this, so right. And then, you know, know, that's that's the um, that's the uh, nuclear holocaust where we just wipe ourselves out, reset to zero, and blow ourselves back to beyond beyond the Stone Age to just like barely multicellular life, right? But that's the internal thing. So that's like a psychological barrier filter that the intelligent species don't get smart enough fast enough or aren't smart smart enough ever, ever, ever to get past that. Uh, or maybe it's something else, an external thing. It's just like a physical reality that an uh, exploding stars regularly wipe out large sections of galaxies. They just irradiate the whole section of the galaxy and the uh, life, even if it gets started, never gets a chance to go anywhere because it's just getting wiped out constantly by this natural phenomenon. It happens at a rate that just keeps everything basically sterilized. Uh, so, you know, civilization gets created at rate X, but these things happen at rate Y and it's just fast enough to wipe everything out. Uh, so, or it's a combination of those things, or if you're lucky enough, X that you know, but you happen to live. Is you, you're lucky enough to be smart enough not to blow yourself up, but you live in a a place that blo- it sterilizes itself. That so all the odds work out that basically life in the universe is near zero. Um, there's no there's no answer. There's no answer to that because um, there's no. That we have not yet to see any obvious signs of widespread life. We have yet to see any obvious signs of a phenomenon that wipes, uh, sterilizes large segments of galaxies or so on. And we have yet to blow ourselves up. And we see life evolving, filling niches and spreading. So, you know, how do you square the circle? I don't think we have an answer to that. 
Yeah, it's it's just there's so many variables in in the whole thing. Uh, you know, so much that's unknown. I mean, if you're going to do math, you have to know everything, and we we know next to nothing. Uh, but you know, uh, let, you know, uh, let's talk about a little bit, like you said, about what what would an alien look like, um, or you know, how hostile would they be? I mean, these are the things that you can kind of just speculate on. You know, uh, I think as we touched on before, that I think looking at the ocean is the best way we can see how. Uh, different environment might influence the look and shape of creatures you know i i agree and before we i know you want to jump into this i'm gonna let you but let's just narrow narrow down a little bit what we're talking about because we're not talking about like a alien cell drifting through space that happens to land on our planet and starts to reproduce and oh no it's like an infection can we deal with that? We're not talking something relatively benign or natural like that, right? It's just chance that happens. And we're not talking about like von Neumann machine, which is uh, in, uh, an attempt for to spread ourselves or someone to spread themselves just by sending robots out into space that will reproduce some life in some way as they know it, as they knew it, and it just consumes 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 and recreates things in a pattern we're talking about something a little bit less less natural by chance as a cell and something a little bit more directed and intelligent than a, a robot that just recreates things in, in a very simple pre-programmed way you're talking about something between those which is like what would an alien look like who would choose to come visit humans right yeah you know the whole cosmic zoo thing too you know if if a race has mastered time and space and has such vastly superior technology is a very good chance that the reason we are alive is because we're some place for them to visit you know uh um you know of course we're going to make everything uh, we're going to make everything very uh, human-like. That's what humans do, right? That's how, that's what we see ourselves doing. So we kind of want to personify uh, and put you know put that on them. Uh, well, we're we're limited by our mental models, and that is itself shaped by you know random chance, but also the experiences we grow up with and have experienced. So our mental models have limits to how far they can flex. Some people can flex them pretty far, thankfully. And, uh, but even, even the people who flex them far, 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 still, it looks suspiciously like things we know. And people might say that that's a limitation to humanity, a limitation to life. We can only, you know, combine things that have existed in the past. We're not really creative, blah, blah, blah. But I think we are just sort of, we don't know how to train our brains to be uh, outside of our, our limitations. We don't, we don't have that knowledge. We haven't really made that concept yet. And some of that is by necessity because we just, we're, I mean, we're a rich country. The United States is a rich country in the world, but compared to what you might think of a, a post-scarity, infinite energy uh, long-lived individuals civilization imagine what they could learn and how they might be able to 
uh, train train people uh, given given the chance. So they might be truly imaginative, uh, and they might might be able to to present themselves, whatever that means, to uh, or, or just stand. They, I mean, they could literally stand in front of us and be so alien and crazy looking that since our mental models can't really process them, that we would we wouldn't be able to see them. We would just be like. Look right past them, you know, because it'd be so alien. Yeah, I mean, uh, it could be like a ghost, really, to us. Yeah. Yeah, or we would put it in some framework, you know, it was like, uh, you know, oh, it was a ghost, but uh, not a ghost. Uh, you know, not, not a dead person, which is just something we thought was. We couldn't. We couldn't. We just randomly assigned it to category effectively, right? Uh, or a fireball in the sky. You know, you think, oh, it's aliens come to visit us, but maybe it's well, something well, even crazier. We really didn't get to go through the, this part the way I wanted to. Uh, I mean, I was, we barely got to aliens, the alien stuff. But I think we got to you know next episode. Let's just get. Let's pick it up here. Okay. And. Uh, I want to really kind of dive into what got me interested in the subject because at one point in time, I was just like everybody else. Hey, you know, uh, yeah, that's funny, little green man. Ha, 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 right? Did I have an event where I saw a, a UFO? No. Did I meet an alien? No. That you what know kind of? Well, yeah. So so what? what kind of changed in me? And what did it? And I can tell you uh, that it has a lot to do with these videos that started surfacing when the Internet boomed, where uh, you could actually get NASA's feeds and some of the anomalies contained within there. That's when I started kind of giving it a serious look. And there's a lot there, a lot of very unexplainable things, which at the very least means we've got some craft and some abilities that they're not telling us about. That's well beyond anything we could imagine right now. Um, and, you know, I'll point a few of those out. And what like I said, what I love about these things is, you know, it, it came straight from NASA itself and they'll, they'll explain it away any way they want, but there's a few of them. I'm just count a couple on the top, just off the top of my head that really, really give them nowhere to go if you ask me. All they can do is say it's top secret and we can't tell you about that because it's something. What is it? Is it uh, people from another dimension? Is it our guys in super technology already blasting out into space and they're not telling us about it? Uh, is it people from the future? We don't see, know. See, that's, that's my... Uh, that's my uh, whatever. We can get into this next time, but whenever someone says, is it is it aliens, I always say, well, you have to be able to distinguish alien visitation from humans from the future. If you can't distinguish those, then there's we'll talk about why that's important. We'll, but We'll talk about it. But my, my point is, I got interested when I, I realized there really is something to it. And if you don't, if you'll stop laughing for just a second and actually look at some of these things, you know, I don't think you can 
can't draw any other conclusion other than that there is some very serious technology uh, whipping around this planet. And, uh, you know, its origins, I don't know if we'll ever know unless someone comes out with it, but um, super credible things uh, uh, that you just... Um, you know, you just really can't just turn a blind eye to you. You have to say it's something, you know. Uh, when you have thousands of people in the same location see the something and you track it on radar and, you know, it's as big as a house, you know, much bigger, bigger as big as a couple of battleships. And when you've got the kind of people coming forth, to me, it bears... It, it, it warrants you taking the time to take a look into it, at least make sure it's something that we shouldn't be laughing at. You know, uh, it's, uh, it's something we talk about next. I, like I said, we're well over our time this episode, so we'll pick it back up. We'll get into cool things like Roswell and the Phoenix lights and, the, um, just kind of talk about some of these NASA videos that I'm talking about. Secret NASA man, um, secret NASA man. Yeah, secret NASA man. Okay. Very, very interesting. Uh, it was a YouTube account that first started kind of releasing these videos, or uh, that I used to follow anyway. Um, so we'll pick it up next time, though. It's gonna be interesting.